Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond. Welcome to Magic City Soccer, a Day Brigade podcast. Your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. The podcast is so nice, we have to do it twice. This is our second attempt at uh, at recording our podcast this week due to some technical difficulties uh, because of a computer of someone who will remain unnamed. However, he is on the call now. Uh, we, we will talk to both hosts right now. I am Matthew Bunch. Uh, let's go around the horn and talk to our friend Drew Hausman. Drew, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Uh, living large off three points. Uh, I'd like to toot our own horn and say since we've started this podcast, our team has been undefeated. Um, after the technical difficulties, I don't appreciate being called on first because I will say right now <laughs> it was not my computer. Wow, what a sell! What a way to sell Mubaya <laughs> down the river. I was trying to not maybe put him on the spot by going to Drew first and let people fill in their own minds. Well, obviously, he wouldn't go to the person first that did it. But, Omar, your computer. It's not Omar's fault. Omar did nothing wrong. Okay, let's just put that out there right now. Omar's computer, however, can go die in a fire. Omar Mubayad, how are you? Fighting the natural tendency now to speak quickly so we can wrap this up and go to bed. <laughs> I was really hoping to get some Bachelor in tonight, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. High on the three points. Fantastic. Uh, JoJo should have picked Robbie. I don't know what she was thinking. And I've just missed the first episode of Bachelor in Paradise. But let's move on and talk about the game. Look, we all have loved and lost. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about the things that we've lost because of this podcast. (laughs) And that's what The Bachelor is about, too. That's true. It really kind of all folds together. However, the one area of our life where we can't talk about loss is the Miami FC because they won last week. Yeah! So, um, we will talk about that in a moment, but a thing that needs to be discussed first, because this is Magic City Soccer and this is what we do, first and foremost, is transaction news. Sebastian Evers, goalkeeper, coming from Jacksonville Armada to the Miami FC. Uh, Evers is a Miami native, spent two seasons with with the Armada, got a start and a little bit of play with them. Uh, he played at UCF. Um, he came up through the Kendall Soccer Coalition. He played at Gulliver Prep. Spent some time at Ferguson. Um, this is a real South Florida soccer guy. Uh, you know, someone who's right up our alley. Drew, what do you think about this acquisition? Um, it's great to see a homegrown talent as part of the team. Uh, I noticed actually last week uh, during the game that Sierra was not on the bench, and it was instead my best friend for life, Lionel Brown. Um, I kind of got concerned or just kind of wanted to know what's up, and now I saw that we released Sierra, and now we have a new backup goalkeeper, so it's it's great to see two two backups that are local guys. Omar, what do you think? Yeah, as you stated, a guy who's got local ties here to South Florida, uh, looks like to have spent time playing youth soccer over at Kendall Soccer Park with the Coalition. Uh, played at Gulliver Prep, also saw on UCF's website, which is obviously his college club, uh, that he spent time at John Ferguson as well out in West Kendall. So this is definitely a Miami guy through and through. Uh, I was a little concerned as well when I all of a sudden opened the roster and saw that Sierra was disappeared and a beautiful picture of a jersey where Sebastian Evers' face is supposed to be. <laughs> that is a, an interesting Easter egg of Miami FC that when you look on their roster – 
uh, you see a not insignificant number of just random pictures of jerseys because there is some some churn in in the uh, in the team occasionally. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of that churn a little bit later on when we open up the mailbag. Um, but now let's actually dig into the the, the meat of what we want to talk wait, about. Wait, 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 wait. We yes. want to hold on and stay true to podcast 1.0 that is sitting somewhere on a recording room floor. <laughs> guys, guys, our transactions, huh? It looks a little bit like a fantasy football waiver wire, doesn't it? <laughs> that joke really landed the first time. You have to trust us. It was great. He did a very good job. Yes, no, there, there's definitely... We definitely have the look of someone who is keeping an eye on that waiver wire um, on Tuesday afternoons. Um, yeah, so Everts in, uh, Sierra out, um, Vega, of course, holding the first spot. It's a move really not of day-to-day improvement, but improving the depth of the team. And so I think it's something we can be pretty pleased about. Now, Omar, if I have your authority, and we've covered all previous jokes, yes, sir? Yes, pro- proceed, please. Thank you very much. Uh, so... Miami FC. Guys, I don't know if you know, but Miami FC won last weekend. So, um, they won 2 1. Uh, they got on the. I'm sorry, this is gonna be, it's gonna, it's gonna be a little bit uh, hard to, to get through considering, like, wow, they won. Who, who'd have thunk it? I had no idea. Um, they won 2 1. Goals by Svitanich in the fourth minute, Martinez in the 85th. They defeat the spring season champions, the Indy 11. Drew, what do you think about it? Uh, it was really good to see, especially last week with uh, Jaime Chavez scoring in the seventh minute for us to be that aggressive, uh, although it was kind of a pinball-style goal for us to score in the fourth minute. Um, you know, afterwards, we took kind of a uh, more defensive stance and wasn't as aggressive, but uh, thank God for Cuban Messi, Ariel Martinez, for scoring that second goal. <laughs> Uh, to keep us in that game and to keep us from getting a draw. But I, I really like the intensity of that game, especially against Indy 11, you know, the, the spring spring champions. Uh, it was a great victory. I agree, Omar. What would you take away? Absolutely. You know what? It was a fun game to be at. It was a bit of a scorcher. Um, but we got a goal inside the first five minutes, which is something that's been a little rare for us. We haven't really scored early uh, and scored often, but it's nice to see that we can get a goal in the first five minutes. Johnny Steele has taken over the corner duties, and it seems like the free kick duties. Now, duties, sorry. <laughs> Not duties, duties. Um, <laughs> taking over the free kick duties uh, for the absence of Richie Ryan. And we'll, we'll you know elaborate that a little more in a minute, what that means for us. But, um, yeah, places a nice header, hits it across the box completely, all the way in the opposite side of a six-yard box. Finds Red Bernstein's score on the head. Bernstein manages to ping-pong a ball off Poku. And as we said, Dario finished it like a striker normally does. It's nice to see Dario score from something other than the penalty spot, um, which we've given him flack, bef- uh, flack before here. on. Um, but it's nice to see. Look, it was a bit of a hold-on and wait. Um, we did score that goal so early that it almost not, not takes wind out of the sails, but it, all of a sudden we saw Indy 11 ramping up, and it almost makes you wonder if the team collapsed into a defensive shell on purpose, or was it just no connection on the passing that all of a sudden we saw Indy 11 with a steady, steady string of possession for the next 20 minutes? I will say uh, I think um, the first goal scored, the the goal scored by Svitinich, was really the capper 
of what may be the best soccer this team has played uh, in its existence. Uh, I thought the build-up from the back towards the goal, uh, which was, it was obviously knocked out by an Indy 11 player, but the build-up was remarkable, and it was a real, as it was happening, you could see it happening and say, wait a minute, this is something this team doesn't really do very well, which is patient, controlled, build-up, finding space, advancing, 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 put the pressure on, okay, now we got something. We had an opportunity at goal, but we're going to take a corner. And then to take the corner, that long outswinger to the other side of the box, then have it headed back in, and then just hope for chaos. Um, I thought the I thought it was a brilliant goal uh, in terms of not not necessarily Dario's you know scoring ability, but in terms of everyone on the field playing a role in it. I thought that was fantastic. Omar, as you said, there was about another twenty minutes after that goal where Miami C were a little unsteady, and Indy Eleven were definitely on the front foot. And I do think it's something as you mentioned when you score that very early goal, it kind of has the feel of an early red card, going back to the Jacksonville game, where both teams have radically had their plans altered. And obviously you'd rather be on the good end of it, as Miami FC was, than the bad end of it. However, now you're like, oh, wow, we've got 85 minutes left and we've got the lead. You know, sometimes you don't get the lead until the 85th minute or the 90th minute. So I think there's definitely some instability or uncertainty created by an early goal, but of course it's a good problem to have. Uh, we saw from that point on, however, Indy 11 get a little more uh, bite in their attack, but Miami FC weathered it. And it was not a game where you look at, at uh, Vega in goal and say, man, he really pulled us out of the fire. The back line did a really good job of standing up to the challenge. It was there, um, but, but they did a really good job of standing up to it, facing it, and, and turning it away. And yes, of course, Vega played his role too. But it, it wasn't just, you know, the Mario Daniel Vega show. Uh, Drew, uh, what what'd you think? What'd you take away? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think Vega did a, a good job enough. Uh, I think one of the key factors in the game, uh, not to be an Indy 11, you know, fanboy, but uh, their, their starting keeper, John Bush, didn't start the game. Instead, it was uh, number one, uh, Keith Cardona which I thought had a pretty impactful play on the game. You know, there, there, there weren't many shots on goals. or I think, I think either way it would have gone in on Bush, but just the fact that we were going up against a backup keeper was a big advantage for us, especially Indy being uh, the masters of the draw. So to get 2-1 uh, against a backup keeper, I'll, I'll take it all day. I'm... I mean, it was kind of silly on their behalf. I know, I know they have a tough schedule ahead, but to underestimate us like that uh, definitely made them eat their sweaty shorts. Yeah, they've got they've got three games. Uh, they've they've got that that dreaded three game stretch of Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Um, but yeah, you know, if a team treats you like that, if a team team makes that decision, we're going to give our starting goalie a rest. Well, guess what? You got to punish him. And it would have been embarrassing if Miami FC only got a point from this home game, even though Indy 11 were the spring season champions. And Indy probably thought they could kind of, you know, lean on that. And guess what? Miami FC is a different team than they were in uh, the spring season. And, you know, and Miami FC is able to make them pay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the nice part about doing this the second go around is that we feel a little more prepared than the first time. We were scrambling to figure out what was going on. Why did Indy play a backup keeper? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I think uh, another thing of the game is, you know, that should be noted is that 
Indy had possession for what feels like more than 53% of the time, which is what it, which is what the statistics show. But it felt like being in the crowd that Indy had the ball majority of the game, and Indy really held the ball in the midfield more often than we did. Indy had his Indy had their chances. They missed several shots over the bar or just wide of the post, and they just weren't able to convert. And this is how Miami walked away with the three points. Miami had two really good counterattacks. The first one building up to play in the fourth minute and a beautiful, beautiful counterattack with Ariel Martinez finishing up a shot on the near post against Cardona. Um, Miami played a different style. I don't think it's something we've seen in recent memory. I don't think we've seen a Miami team play a counterattacking position. I don't think necessarily they were looking to invite the pressure that they did technically get. But at the same time, it was good to see Miami be able to play that game. Not every game is going to go the way you managed it, the way you draw it, the way you drew it up. But being able to change your style, being able to understand where the breaks are in the game made all the difference here. Absolutely. So I have a, I have a question uh, recapping this game. Uh, I would like to know everybody's man of the match, and I would like to say mine last. So, Matthew, go <laughs> ahead. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so I I think my man of the match, it, it may be a, a bit traditional or on the nose, and, and maybe I'm just a fanboy, but I think Vega in goal had a very good game. Uh, he wasn't tested as much um, as as he has been in the past, uh, but when he was, he pretty much always answered the call. Um, you know, Indy Levin pulled the one back in the 89th minute, but at that point they were throwing everything in the kitchen sink. That's not to be surprised. I, I do, however, want to credit the back line who I would describe as our much maligned back line. Um, I think they did a pretty solid job. Um, I think I think this is a real team victory. I think this is a, a, a game where you don't have to say, wow, Poku really pulled us out of the fire, or wow, Jaime Chavez, what a game, really led things, or wow, you know, Michael LaHood really uh, setting the tone. It's No, I think across the field there were players helping to do their part, and, and you could look at any number of them and say, yeah, good work out of that guy. Good work out of that guy. But I will, again, I will default and call me the fanboy, but I will go with Vega. Uh, Omar, what do you think? Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to piggyback on that statement. It's hard to pinpoint a certain individual in this game. It was a team effort all around. We had fantastic play by the back four, strong saves by Vega. Um, even the one goal he let in, he was well in position. It took a weird rebound, and he wasn't able to get to it on time. He may have sustained the knock during the game, so that may have hindered his ability to cover the ball up. We don't know. Um, very easy to go with somebody like Blake Smith, who for many a game in the spring season, you look around the stadium when they announce his name, and people are kind of shuddering, kind of cringing a little bit, like, oh, God, why that guy? But you know what? He's turned it on. In, in the fall season, he's been able to you know, communicate passes, finish touches, um, definitely get the ball where it needs to be. He opens up the field in a way that we haven't seen before. And I do wonder if um, it is a result of chemistry, a result of Nesta's tutelage. Um, so it's really easy to go with Blake Smith. I was tempted to do so, but I think everything revolves around this team with the new number 10. Um, Poku definitely gets his fair touches of the ball. We see that he does make the right move more often than not. Sometimes we do wonder if he does hold the ball a little bit too long, but it's fine. You know what? You have to be. You have to have the mentality that you might be the best player on the field, and you got to finish your chances. So I'm going to go with Poco. I think he played fantastic. I think he only missed a handful of passes all night. Um, definitely over the 80% passing clip. Uh, definitely connected the ball. 
uh, you know, to the forwards when necessary. And he played well defensively. Definitely got back when needed. And you know what? He's a motor, man. He gives you... It's very easy for a guy from Division One or MLS to come to Division Two and kind of mail it in and realize he won't be here that long before he gets another chance. But Poku's not mailing it in. He's not doing that. He's busting every shift... Oh, every shift, here I am thinking it's hockey. He's busting every second. He's getting back on every ball. Uh, in the essence of hockey, he's back-checking. He's forward-checking. He's all over the place. And it's a fantastic thing to see. So I will give Poku man of the match. All right, Drew. Come on, rub it in our face. All right. I'm going with my man, the birthday boy. The man with the blue and white flag with five stars behind it. Number eight, Mr. Mutt, 90 minutes strong. Wilson Palacios. The guy played 90 minutes for the first time this year. He came in for Richie Ryan. Hard position to play. Played it all out the match. You all owe me a beer. Even if you're listening to this, you owe me a beer. I better black out the next game. Wilson Palacios is my man of the match. You know, starting the beginning of this year... Palacios was supposed to be our go-to guy. It looks like he came to the team a little under-conditioned or out-of-condition, but he proved himself in training, and he played a full freaking game. My man of the match. Yeah, I may have been the most skeptical of the bunch of us. <laughs> no no play on words there, Mr. Bunch. Of course. Um, but no, um, honestly, we haven't seen him play more than roughly 50 minutes. And I thought he was going to get his hour in and he was going to be subbed off. We had the 1-0 lead. Might as well get some fresh legs to play that number five position that Palacios was in uh, Saturday night. You know what? 60th minute went by. 64th minute went by. I look over at Matt. I'm looking at Drew. Drew's got that whack smile on his face knowing <laughs> that he's won the bet. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, this guy is, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing a new chapter. We're seeing a new chapter, Wilson Palacios, and what he can offer. And it's fantastic to see. Yeah, it's uh, I he exceeded all of our expectations. Uh, e- even Drew did not anticipate. I don't think a, a ninety minute performance. Um, it was really quite a job. And you know, you look at the game, and Wilson Palacios didn't jump off the screen or jump off the field as as the guy that's really changing the tone. But as as was stated, you know, he played a ninety minute game where he hadn't before. And he did it stepping in for a player who had been a 90-minute player. And really, there wasn't much lost. It, he, he did a really tremendous job of, of just holding that spot. And, and it, like, it wasn't glitz. It wasn't glamour. But it was, it was an effective, you know, to borrow uh, Omar's ter- term, uh, an effective shift. He was asked to fill in, and he did a damn good job of it. And... You know, he got the happy birthday serenade afterward, and he deserved it. And, and as we said, he had been a bit maligned in terms of his ability to contribute beyond minute 60. Well, you know, asked and answered the spring season. As it seems to have been for Miami FC, it seems it's a different season for Wilson Palacios. So I think that sound of silence means that we're ready to move a bit on. That's right, awkward um, transition. Yay, that's how we do it. The only way to do it. Random five seconds of silence, followed by moving on. Um, So obviously the three points, uh, good to take away uh, from that game. Oh, there is something else I want to mention. We're going to transition a little bit off the field now. Um, Although not really, because it's technically about the field. 
Um, we saw on uh, Reddit uh, after the game a post, and Reddit is a very active community for NASL soccer fans. And Bloody Shambles is a notable uh, Indie 11 podcast media conglomerate. Um, and something really jumped off the page by uh, one of our uh, Day Brigade faithful. I want to read the post and a little bit from the post. Um, the, the post title, Miami FC's field is an embarrassment to the league and professional soccer. And, of course, the first line kind of sets the real meaning of maybe where this post is coming from. Firstly, this is not a rant based on the fact my team lost. We sucked and we lost. But right from the get-go, I just cannot believe that anyone has to watch a game in second-tier U.S. professional soccer on such a field, let alone have it broadcast on a national network. Uh, guys, I think this is a lot of red meat for us to chew on. Um, what What do you take away? Well, let's start with Omar because he was the the dogged pit bull defending Miami over the last weekend on social media and beyond. Uh, Omar, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so I think this is the situation that we're looking at um, with where Miami FC currently play their games. At FIU, Miami FC is, is basically a tenant. They're not a... They're not their owners. They cannot make changes on their own without approval of the university. FIU, for those of you who are not aware, is a public research university in Florida. This is a university that time after time has shown that they are not willing to invest money into their athletic department. Yes, they've built a brand new field house for what is probably use of the football team. But, I mean, it's not something of, of, of great significance. They decide to paint the basketball floor before really trying to revamp or modernize their basketball arena. Um, so, you know what, if you want to blame the pitch, that's fine. I mean, I, I guess I can understand it, but this is something we see throughout the United States and, and with soccer around the U.S. itself. All of a sudden, you know, you want to blame the pitch and, and yeah, okay, might not be the best, but look around the league, look around MLS, the revolution, have football lines coming on in a few weeks once the Patriots season starts getting underway. Seattle Sounders have been notorious for not only having a terrible piece of AstroTurf where the ball bounces 20 feet off a goal kick if it ever hits the ground, but also to play with the yellow lines on, you know, what are football uh, football markers, football yardage markers. So, you know, this is not something that plagues Division Two. This is something that, that plagues U.S. soccer in general. You know, we have heard rumblings that FIU is looking to install uh, a all-grass surface for next season. And, you know, for their football team as well. And you know what? I'm going to be a bit of a narcissist when I say I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I don't trust FIU. I don't trust the fact that any of the money Miami FC is giving to FIU is going to go towards stadium renovations. Um, I don't think that this is a facility that's ever going to get true natural grass. I think there's going to be some type of turf. Will it be better? I hope so. Um, but, you know, this is not a bad stadium. This is a stadium that's been modernized recently. It's constantly being, you know, it's constantly have upkeep work done to it, but the field is the major part. It doesn't matter what you do in the stands, unfortunately, when it comes to the game. It matters what you do on the field. And if the field's going to be deterrent, then yes, that'll be a problem. But again, you know, you got to look at it this way. It's still AstroTurf. It's still a field that Miami FC does not own. I think it's important in addition, I know I'm going on a bit of a long rant here, but Miami FC doesn't have a place to play other than FIU in South Florida. Marlins Park. Uh, that's been, you know, kind of whispered around wouldn't work. It is the, uh, the stadium sightlines don't work for soccer very well, as we've seen with some of the friendlies that they have hosted. Uh, Dolphin Stadium is under renovation, and putting a 
NASL team in a 70,000 seat stadium, probably not your best ideas, especially if you want, you know, the one empty seat picks, uh, putting up your games on Twitter or Instagram. And then last but not least, um, you know, Miami doesn't have a secondary soccer stadium. We're not allowed to play in Broward County because that is home of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and, and that is off limits per our commissioner and the NASL. But at the same time, think about it this way, NASL in South Florida cannot exist at a high school park or at a local tropical park. This is still professional soccer. That might work for fourth and fifth divisions once we start getting into that pro-am kind of uh, designation. But for second division professional soccer, you can't. You can't put it at Tropical Park. You cannot put it at Mylander Park. It has to be played here at FIU. That's the only place that is... Well, you know what I should say? That is the best place to play the game. And we're sorry if, you know, the folks up in Indy don't like the pitch. You know what? It's a good thing you guys don't live here then because we have a thousand other things to do other than go to an ASL game on Saturday night. Yeah, we pack the stands um, and we want to make sure that, that we stay live. We'll talk about packing the stands in a second. Drew, what do you think about the turf debate? Uh, yeah, I feel like their comment was almost like a Bill Edwards comment from last week. Uh, anytime you have to preface it, well, well, not because my team lost, but I would like to complain about the officiating, the field, the league. You know, come on. As we always say, this is the NASL, and the NASL is a very magical league. It's like a wizard... <laughs> Or something like that, you know. Uh, I, I agree with Omar, you know. This is the best place to play in Miami. You're in a, you know, we have a great four-team Florida system. Uh, you know, no other state has anything like that or no other geographical area has anywhere like that. Um, you know, that's where we need to play. I've heard the rumors of grass next year. You know, I'll believe it when I see it also. I'd like to think that it's going to happen. But at the same time, you look at other teams, you know, a lot of other teams are playing on the same exact style uh, turf. Uh, in, in some of the Canadian teams are playing on CFL fields where it has those marks, you know, nothing's... Which are harder and weaker. Yeah, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't even know how the whole thing works. But, uh, I mean, you look at uh, Rail OKC, they're playing at a high school stadium. Everything's a little bit ridiculous, but, uh, you know, as long as there's a secure place to play, it can't be that... You know, you can't complain about it too much. And I think it's really important to to kind of note the following argument that was made in and, and guys in Indy, you know, we love you, but don't don't throw the money thing around, right? That's not a double edged sword. We're very quick to be bashed for the amount of money we're spending on our players. Uh, very quick for you guys to, to to pull the trigger and say, Oh, you guys are spending astronomical amounts. But then you can't come back and say that Miami FC is not willing to spend the money on the pitch. Like, so you have to understand that the pitch is beyond our control. If our money, or if Miami FC's money, was able to put in new grass for next Saturday's game against the Strikers, guess what? It probably be, it would probably be put in. But that's not something FIU is willing to do. So it kind of is, you know, you're, you're indebted to your landlord, and your landlord will only do so much for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep my, my words on this short and sweet. Uh, I don't think that everyone deals with this turf is a america problem it's not a miami or miami fc or south florida problem um you know you can look back as as omar mentioned you can look back at um seattle sounders playoff games 
uh, and see that there are football lines even a couple years ago. Uh, this is not something that is, oh my goodness, how is this happening in America? And uh, No, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's something that happens. It's a bummer. No one's happy about it. Uh, we're not standing here being like, yeah, it's great that we have these random lines on our field. Awesome. No, of course not. And, you know, this weird turf that bounces a ton that that is not really like natural grass. Of course no one's happy about that. But th that's the reality of where we live and and where we have the opportunity to play. And it would it be great if it were fixed? Sure. But until then, whatever. It's not a big deal. Like, it's not – are we going to make fun of Rio OKC because they played a high school stadium, as we mentioned before? Well, I mean, I, I guess you could, but I, I'm not inclined to do that. You play where you can play. Is it a venue where you can get enough fans in and generate the revenue? Okay, great. Play it on a floating boat if it has enough seats. I don't care. You know, like, it doesn't it, – that, that's – College basketball preseason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, I, I honestly think there's there's uh, there's a big, long, longer road to go down regarding places where Miami AC could play. Uh, but for now, this is the best option, you know, and, and until then, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see anything that's happening at Ocean Bank at FIU Stadium that makes me go, oh my goodness, what a tragedy against American soccer. It's, it's not, it's really not. And I can find 10 other teams where I can find almost exactly the same thing. So let's let that one go for now. Um, uh, but speaking of, uh, FIU Stadium, and this will be the last thing about the stadium before we hit the mailbag, um, Maybe the most optimistic thing from uh, that game last weekend was a number in the stats that it's not possession, it's not shots on goal, but it's attendance. Um, I thought the attendance, 5,076, was pretty darn impressive for a game against Indy 11. You know, it's not a Cosmos, it's not a Strikers, it's not a Rowdies, it's the Indy 11, and we drew over 5,000. Uh, I was very, very pleased to see that. Uh, Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I was really happy with the attendance numbers. I think we're second in the league uh, with with the attendance. Um, it's it's really important to get these numbers now. You know, everybody kind of criticized us after the first game for having ten thousand and kind of slipping, but we're coming back there. Um, Those models and their free tickets. Yeah, exactly. Or the <laughs> reggaeton artists. You know, now now we're kind of resulting to the Heritage Night thing. But hey, you know. Every professional sports team does that, and it costs us next to nothing. And if it works, it works. Um, one of one of the things not to to rag on Strikers fans too much because I love you guys, but I was really sad to see that the final game at Lockhart uh, Stadium against the Rowdies, against the Tampa Bay Rowdies, their former interstate rival from going back to the '70s only drew uh, 1,100 people. When people criticize us for catching 3,000, man, the strikers, I love them, but their tenants have been just horrible all season. So uh, sucks for them. It's good for us. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I uh, I would agree with you, Drew. I, I went on a rather long jack about this in the first podcast, so I will keep it short. Uh, we shared that number uh, last week in 1,158 uh, according to Peter Brown, um, and you know, being rivals, quote unquote, you know, that's you would normally be happy that there is misfortune befalling your rival. Uh, it just made me sad, and and the reason why, and and is because, 
you know, if you're if you're interested in South Florida soccer, the Strikers were the game in town for a number of years. And, you know, I have a Strikers jersey, and I've been to Strikers games as a Striker fan. And we know guys in Flight 19. And, and we are sympathetic to their cause, I think, even though obviously we want the Strikers to lose. Uh, we don't want them to lose like this. And, and it's unfortunate that Lockhart Stadium, which is not only a venue with historic soccer significance in South Florida, but historic soccer significance in the United States. It is one of the most important historical venues for soccer. The fact that the last game there by a club team uh, drew that number is a real bummer. But it does provide a stark contrast to those of you uh, who love to lecture Miami about how it's not the place to be for soccer in Fort Lauderdale and Boca Raton and Palm Beach. Those are the, the hotbeds of soccer then if you're going to put a put a team in South Florida, it's got to be up there because that's where the attendance draw is. Well, look at the situation now. The situation is driven far more by ownership and commitment to the fan than it is geographic location in our Tri-County region. And I, I think that this is the, the final be-all and end-all for this argument. That is not something that is deficient with the Miami market and proficient with Broward and Palm Beach, but it is simply ownership, ownership, ownership. Uh, Omar, what do you think about the attendance? Nobody wants to root for a bad team. Nobody wants to actively spend their money and support an ownership they don't believe in. Um, and I think the biggest inclination we have that we have for that in South Florida is the Marlins. Um, you know, this isn't a baseball podcast. The Marlins are doing better, as we all know, for those of us that follow. And all of a sudden, their attendance numbers are surprisingly going up. I wonder why. Um, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Nobody wants to go out if they feel a disconnect from ownership. Nobody wants to go out and spend their money if they don't feel like they're going to be, what's the word I'm looking for, rewarded or felt almost like, you know, like, hey, they liked having me there. And I think that's a problem that we're seeing now with the Strikers and this current ownership and what's going on. As Drew hit, none of us wanted to see it. We were hoping the Strikers would get close to our number in 5,000 when we walked into the stadium the first time. Uh, well, I walked in a little after you guys. You guys walked in together. I was a little late, still before kickoff, just a little bit late, not true Miami time. But I noticed as I was walking into our, our end, I said, whoa, there's there's more people here than usual. This place is a little more packed. Um, and, and you felt that in the energy. You definitely felt like we were over 5,000. That's what my inclination was. I looked at Matt and I said to him, you know, I think we got close to five here tonight. Um, and it was nice to see. It really was. And I think this is really important. Um, looking down at the, at the roster in the next couple of weeks, uh, we do have the Strikers home game, which we're going to which we're going to uh, talk about in just a second. But it'd be nice to see a conglomeration there. If we can get a strong showing for Miami FC, Port Lauderdale Clasico, or I ninety five Derby, or Turnpike Brawl, whatever it is that you want to call it, right? Um, if we can get a strong showing for that game and and get it over ten thousand, pushing fifteen, that's my optimistic hope. I think you don't hear about that last game at Lockhart's number anymore. I think that goes in the background because you're going to see South Florida coming together to celebrate a sport and celebrate two teams that are definitely trying to do it at the best level possible and showing that you know we do have professional soccer in South Florida. We do have uh, people that care about soccer in South Florida, and it's not just for major tournaments or it's not just for TV ratings. And you know what? I think it's going to make a big difference. I think not only will NASL come out as winners, I think both teams will come out as winners regardless of the score. Obviously, we want the three points. But I think the entire soccer pyramid in South Florida will, will benefit. Because if we have 15,000 people showing for an NASL game on a Saturday night between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, that shows that there's something there. There's something to build on. There's something there that can fester into something more. 
what something more is, you know what, we'll leave that up to interpretation. But, um, but yeah, I, that, those are my thoughts on the attendance numbers. I definitely thought the 5,000 made it stronger. I think Miami SC is gravitating more towards these promotions and giveaways and, and you know, teacher night or, or that's the one I'm working on, teacher night currently under wraps. Um, but we do have, um, you know, Colombian Heritage Night last Saturday. Are we going to see another Heritage Night coming up? Absolutely, probably. So it, it's definitely, we're on the right trend. We're moving up, which is important. Yeah, I think these theme nights are an excellent idea for the team. You know, it was kind of a lament during the spring season that promotions were absent. It, you know, they, it wasn't really, there weren't kind of themes to games. Uh, and I think that the, the fall season, the team has definitely come out with gusto uh, uh, supporting those ideas. And, you know, I <clears throat> the commissioner doesn't want to hear this. The league doesn't want to hear this. But ultimately, the average soccer fan for now views NASL as a minor league compared to MLS. And so what do minor league teams do in order to generate promotion throughout the rest of sports? They do fun stuff like this, the Colombian Heritage Night, you know, uh, 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 LGBT Pride Night. You know, these are things to engage the community and let them know, hey, we're here and we're here for you. Speaking about the issue with the strikers, too, what do fans want to feel? They want to feel that they're supporting a winner that's competent and they want to feel that the ownership is engaged and appreciates them. And these are ways that, you know, ownership can do that. I think it's a tremendous change from the spring season. I think it's a tremendous change in the right direction. Um, moving on from that point, uh, I think we've covered attendance now. Uh, let's move away from the field and let's move back to actually it's a subject we started our podcast with, transactions. Uh, opening up the Magic City Soccer mailbag, uh, we got a question from Twitter from Austin Simon. He's at AustinSimon305. He asks, is the Ranella signing still happening? I haven't heard anything more about it. Uh, Drew, uh, we talked a little bit before the first podcast, and then we talked about it on the first podcast. I so still it, feel bad. Oh. <laughs> if you would, one more time, uh, I, I heard you have a little bit of information about this that may clear up some confusion. Um, yeah, so what I've heard from unofficial sources is that um, they have him signed – um, I'm not sure how official that is, but yes, it's going to happen. Um, they're just having issues getting into the country. If there is a blessing, he will meet up with us for the Minneapolis game. Um, sorry, the Minnesota game. Um, but most likely he will be with this squad for the Fort Lauderdale game. I don't know if that's going to mean he's been through practices and he's ready for a start or he's just going to be on the sidelines for it. But, um, we should see him not necessarily on the field, but with the team by the time we play Fort Lauderdale. And if I may, uh, it's St. Paul. It's not Minneapolis. There's a lot of people up in that part of the country that realize that when you name the wrong Twin City, you kind of get some flack for it. So boys over in NSC, they definitely do play in St. Paul. But they are Minnesota United. Close I, I corrected myself, man. Yeah. That's fine. I ruined the podcast. It's cool, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I'm great. Uh, so <laughs> I haven't. I don't think I've angered anyone yet. We'll see. Although we did call out Canada on the last episode, on the the the, the aborted episode. Uh, so maybe I'll do that again. We'll, we'll see what other geographic regions we can piss off before we're done. Uh, so uh, Austin, thank you for the question. We hope that kind of clarified things for you a bit. So hopefully, within the next two weeks, you should be seeing. Let's go to the YouTube pronunciation, Vincenzo Renella. Uh, let's 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 listen to YouTube's expert pronunciation. 
Okay, so there you have it. We'll be seeing him Vincenzo Rinella sooner rather than later. Matt, um, I, I, Vincenzo Rinella. There you go. Matt, go for it. <laughs> so I'm just going to call him Vince. Oh. Uh, <laughs> my cousin Vinny. Like yeah, my, my cousin, cousin Vinny. Yes, there Vincenzo we go. Vincenzo Rinella. There, I told you, Drew, you were the master yeah. of it. I can't do it. It's It's got to be deferred to you. Uh, so, uh, we've wrapped that up. We've, we covered it. Let's close up the mailbag. And uh, let's talk about the game at hand. Let's talk about Minnesota. What do we think? All right. So, as mentioned, we are going up to St. Paul. We're going up to the frozen north in the summer, so it's not so frozen. Winter is not coming, folks. Um, it's important to see here that Minnesota is a team that kind of, uh, you know, gave us a tough match last season. Uh, at the end of the spring season, we went up there and, and did not walk away with any points. We were beat 3-1. to one. Uh, It's a game where we possessed the ball more frequently than they did, but kind of like we kind of attacked in the 11, they hit us where it hurt. Um, I think it's important to realize that beating a team like Minnesota is going to be hard. They are definitely a team that are moving up, and it's definitely a home field advantage, which I will let Drew expand on in just a moment. Um, I think it's important to keep up the philosophy, home wins, road draws. Uh, definitely want to walk out with at least a point. If you can walk out with three, that's always a fantastic thing to do on the road, especially at NSC. But I think, again, uh, we'd be well-suited with at least a point here. Bring home a point, regroup for the strikers in two weeks. Do not overlook Minnesota United. They're definitely a scary team, but, you know, got to get that point. Yeah, definitely uh, Minnesota, despite, you know, what their record reflects, I think is one of the better teams in the NASL. Uh, this this is going to be a very tough road game for us. Uh, I will be, you know, not to cheer against us, but I will be very happy if we grab a point. Three points would be the most amazing thing in the world. Um, the important thing post-game, you know, if we do draw, if we do lose, is going to be rebounding for the strikers game because, you know, we're, we're really riding off a high right now where we're three games undefeated. You know, obviously two wins, one loss. We haven't had or sorry, two wins and a draw all back-to-back. You know, we haven't had anything like this before in our team's history. So um, if stuff goes south in Minnesota, you know, hopefully we can keep our composure. But, yeah, Minnesota's a really great team, but I I think we have what it takes to pull it off. Um, We can can do a very surprising upset there. Like I said, Minnesota's a great team, but their record doesn't reflect it. Uh, We came so close with the Cosmos earlier in the fall season, um, we could take this one, and I, I hope we get a chance for Paulo Campos to play, you know, maybe some revenge against his previous team, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that we'll see how that reflects in the roster. I will uh, uh, I will add, uh, I think this spring season has been something I think I've said in an earlier podcast about statements of intent, uh, that what does this team really want to do in this spring season? You know, we started off with the strikers. Can you go back in to Lockhart and get a point? Did it. Uh, New York Cosmos, can you defend your home turf? Can you reverse the embarrassment that you faced uh, in in the spring season? Uh, They didn't get the point. They didn't get three points, but they certainly put up a much better fight than the spring season. Jacksonville Armada, can you get three points in the Coastal Cup? Can you stay above Jacksonville? in terms of where you are on the table locally in Florida. They did. Carolina, can you go on the road and put up a fight? The Carolina game in the spring season was abysmal. 
This one, way different. Even though it was only one point, it's a point on the road against a solid team in Carolina. Not bad. Last week, spring season champions at home. Can you defend your home turf? Another opportunity for one of those games. And they do it. They do get the three points. So now, if Miami FC can go on the road, can go to Minnesota, a very lively crowd, a very competent, well-put-together team, if they can get a point or even, you know, hopefully, hopefully three points, then you've really made a serious statement of intent to the rest of the league for this spring season. No matter what happens, as Drew mentioned, you can't let yourself get too far up or too far down because that Strikers game the next week is going to, you know, you never like to say a game's more important or less important. It's one game at a time. But you want to be in the right mindset for that Strikers game because you're soon thereafter going to be facing the three-game gauntlet, Rio OKC on the road, Ottawa Fury on the road, and then Minnesota again back at FIU Stadium. So you've, you've got to stay level. But if they can go in and get that, that point or that three points of Minnesota, all of a sudden we go from talking about a team that's improving, that's really stepped up from the spring season, to a team where you have to look and say, okay, they're legitimate contenders to get into the playoffs and maybe make the soccer ball. So it's an interesting time for this team. A lot's going to hinge on the next Yeah, absolutely. And to piggyback off that, um, you know, in the first go-around of the podcast, um, Drew called them MLS light. They are. Uh, it, it's definitely a fact that Minnesota United did get the call-up. They will be joining MLS next season, and they are averaging, you know, high numbers for NASL games. Uh, this is, these are people trying to get in and early so they can say they've been around since the beginning and you can't blame them. And NSC is a tough place to play, absolutely. Um, but it's important to look at the table. If you look at the table, the only team that's ahead of us that has played the same amount of games as us is Minnesota United. We've both played five games. We're the only teams um, that still have not played their sixth game to date. Keep in mind as well that Miami has two games in hand on table leaders New York Cosmos. Miami is currently five points back with two games in hand. If Miami can get three points out of Minnesota, come home and take care of business against the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, we are looking at a top-of-the-table run. This is not going to be a game – I'm sorry, this will no longer be a team where – uh, we are saying to each other, well, it's getting there. It's brewing. It's getting closer. It'll be there. We're going to have a team on our hands. We're not going to be talking anymore about what could happen if this, this, or this happens. We would be addressing this team with, here we go. Now's our shot. Now's our run. This is our ability to get in to the playoffs at the end of the year. I think we all agree that the combined standings to finish third or fourth is going to take a ridiculous run and a run that regardless would put us at the top of the table in the fall season. So you know what? If Miami can keep doing what they're doing, um, they have allowed a, quite a few goals. I don't think that's a problem with the goalkeeping. I think that's more of a problem uh, with the back four and some of the inconsistency that's been shaking off. Um, but guess what? I think they have the second or third most high. I'm sorry, second or third most goals for in the league as well. So we're putting the ball in the back of the net. If we can get a good goal in early against Minnesota, try to steal some three points, at least walk away with one. We still have a fighting chance to top the table. Again, there's a lot of games left to go, so it's all kind of, you know, uh, hopeless schoolgirl uh, romantics here with the top of the table. But at the same time, it's something, to, it's something to be honest about because this team will no longer be up and coming. This team will be in the mix, and we would have to address them as so. Look, a boy can dream, damn it, and Omar Mubayet is going to dream, okay? <laughs> so deal with it. Um, I think that's an interesting perspective, and I think that's a good place for us to leave off. Anyone else have anything to add? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, I think it's time to go to bed. Uh, so, uh... Oh, go back to The Bachelor for me. Bachelor in Paradise, baby. I gotta see what Chad does now. I know. Fill us in on that next week. Uh, give us our Bachelor update. 
Uh, but until then, Omar Mubayad, thank you very much, sir. Have a good evening. Thank you. That pit bull joke would have been fantastic. I know, right? It was uh, it, it really – you guys have no idea what you missed. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Drew Hausman, thank you as always, sir. You're welcome. Uh, I would just like to time, take the time to say shout-outs to uh, Miley's Empanadas out in Kendall. Uh, I'd like to shout-out T.Y. Hilton, an FIU alumni and the pride of Andy now. <laughs> so Andy can go shut the fuck up because we bless them with him. And, uh, That's ooh. yes. I forgot. I did yeah. call out Indianapolis on the previous podcast because they dare disrespect FIU, the cradle of Ty Hilton, star of the Indianapolis Pulse. Now, and I did say before, put some respect on their name. Bloody shambles. Put some goddamn respect on their name. Put some respect on their name. Respect Ty. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's uh, let's wrap this up and say goodbye. Uh, I've been Matthew Bunch. Please listen to us next week, where hopefully we only have to do one of these. Uh, even though it's been a real treat to do two, uh, let's, let's try to get our, our technical affairs in order. And until then, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, check us out on Twitter in, at Miami City Soccer. We're starting that up. Send your questions in. Uh, uh, that'll do it. I'm done. Go Miami <laughs> scene. Go Miami Soccer. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Two and a half hours with you guys. Fuck it. I'll do it live.